I'm going to be reading from the book of First Peter, 1 Peter. So if you have a Bible with you, please do turn there. I'm going to read from 1 Peter 1, verses 10 to 12. And essentially, this book is written by the Apostle Peter to Christians who are suffering. They're, they're discouraged believers. Um, they're facing not necessarily physical persecution, but kind of the lower level social ostracism. People are against them, not using their businesses, that kind of thing. And so the whole book of 1 Peter, I think, is a, is a huge encouragement to us in the 21st century where we might think, well, I'm not being persecuted, but we still find life is hard and that it's not easy to be a believer, uh, let alone with the world that we're currently living in with you know, war and cost of living crisis, inflation, interest rates, etc., etc. It's not easy to be a Christian. It's not easy to say, oh, I really trust God. It's not easy to say, God is good all the time. But this book is written to believers who are wrestling with those kind of things to say, actually, God is good all of the time. You might not always remember it, but Peter says, I want to remind you. I want to tell you just how good God really is. And he lays out in the first bit of this chapter... God's salvation plan. He says that we, Christians, have been born again. God's done it. We have new life, that we have a living hope, that Jesus that we follow, he is raised from the dead. He's not in the grave, he's alive. And he has an inheritance for us that is imperishable, is undefiled, it doesn't fade. We have, we have a living hope that we can bank on. Again, that's what we've been singing about. He is holy and worthy and seated in the heavenly places and we can trust him, that he knows what he's doing, that he's, he is over all things. I think that's really good news, that when, we, you know, when you put the news on in the morning, you think, oh my goodness, what's going to happen next? It is so comforting to know that God is good. And the passage that we're going to look at, I think Peter really wants the hearers and he wants us to know, we are more blessed than we realize. That's, that's basically the premise of the message this morning. We are more blessed than we realize. And the way that he does it, he says there were Old Testament prophets, Old Testament saints, who longed to see what we now see. They longed to know what we now know. And even, he's going to finish in this passage, the angels themselves in heaven longed to look into the salvation that we have received. We're more blessed than we realize. Almost like we don't know how good we've got it. Which might seem like a weird thing to say at the beginning when you're like, Steve, you just said inflation and interest rates and cost of living and da-da-da-da-da. You don't know my life. Peter would say, though, he's not oblivious to that. He's not glib. He doesn't, he's not sweeping things under the carpet. But he would say, nevertheless, we are more blessed than we know. So let's read those verses together. 1 Peter 1, verse 10. So concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Things into which angels long to look. 
The Apostle Peter essentially is telling us that the prophets of old searched diligently. In other words, they, they weren't half you know, baked about their inquiries. They diligently searched the scriptures. They diligently inquired of God, when, God, are you going to rescue your people? When's the time? Habakkuk would say, when, O oh Lord, are you going to restore? Jeremiah would pray, God, when are you going to restore the things of God? And if you flick to um, Isaiah chapter 53, uh, Peter, I think, has this passage on his mind because he quotes it in the next chapter. But we get this amazing description of a suffering servant who's going to come to rescue the people of God. Isaiah 53, verse 5 uh, says, But he, this suffering servant, was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we're healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. It's an amazing passage to come 700 years before Jesus came. But Isaiah had this word from God that said, one is coming, by his wounds you're going to be healed. That the iniquity of all of us is going to be laid on him. That you can, I guess, imagine Isaiah being, God, when? Who? What's it going to look like? And Peter says they were serving not just their generation, but us. And we who now have received God's Spirit, we too, we, we see what they longed to see. We know what they longed to know about. Just to help kind of prove this to you, Jesus himself says that if you flick to Luke chapter 10, I'm going to read verse 23 and 24. This is how Jesus describes it, Luke 10, 23. It says, then turning to the disciples, he said privately, blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings desired to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Jesus is saying, hey, to this, this generation, you're blessed. The prophets of old, they long to see what you see. They long to hear what you're hearing. They, they, they were desperate to know about the salvation of our God. It's really important that we understand that was the attitude that all the prophets and kings, or certainly the good ones, had. God, we, we want to know you. We want to know about your salvation. We want to know how you're going to wrap the story up. We want to know how you're going to rescue your people. When are you going to send the king? When are you going to send the one who's going to bring victory? And Jesus is saying, basically, I'm here. Most people don't realize it. But these old prophets, these Old Testament saints, they long to see what you see. You have greater insight into this story than they did. We, to make it about us, have greater insight into this story than they did. We're more blessed than we realize. I don't know about you, because I kind of take it for granted that I know what I know. I kind of take it for granted that I can read the Bible. I kind of take it for granted that I know the story, and that, oh, and then Jesus comes, and he dies on a cross, and then he rises, and yeah, 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 I got it. This message is scandalous. It's rich, it's deep, it's historic. Peter wants these discouraged believers to realize when they're facing persecution, when they're struggling to stand firm, 
hey, God is good. He is trustworthy. His promises never fail. He has been planning this a long time. And you're in the story. One of the things I'd want to encourage you as Revelation Church is you're in the story. You might think, no, us, this ragtag bunch of people being in a sports hall in a powerhouse in Manchester, are we in the story? Peter, yeah, you are in the story. What these Old Testament prophets like Isaiah wanted to see with all of their heart has now been revealed to you. It's pretty privileged. I don't know if that's how you think about yourself. I'm kind of, oh, I'm a bit ordinary, a bit mundane. Oh, no, I don't know what's going on. God would say something quite different. You're privileged. You're in. You're safe. You're in his story. And I think it's amazing that churches like Revelation, like us at King's Church, we get to play our little part in God's meta story. That he is saving the whole world through his son. And he's like, I choose to use you to get in on it, to play your part. Peter is encouraging these discouraged believers. And I think it's also really cool that it shows us the unity of the Scriptures from beginning to end. That in verse 11, we are told that as these prophets inquired what personal time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories, it says that it was the Spirit of Christ who revealed to them about Jesus, about his sufferings and his glory. That phrase, the Spirit of Christ, is so important for us because it helps us realize the Spirit of Christ wrote the Old Testament scriptures and the New Testament scriptures. It's one story, it's one whole. There is unity in what God says. And again, just to try and prove this to you, let's look what Jesus says about it and flick to Luke chapter 24. This is Jesus on the Emmaus Road. And he's talking to two also discouraged believers who think that now Jesus has died, everything is, is done for. And he says, uh, Luke 24, verse 23. No, that's not right, not 23. 25. And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart. That's nice, Jesus. Slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. It's one story. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? So it's that again, suffer and glory as the prophets had said. Verse 27, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself all about Jesus. He says, plot twist, it's all about me. Every single part of it. If you've ever seen the movie The Sixth Sense, I think this is a great analogy for proving this. Lee's shaking her head. Even if you've not seen the movie The Sixth Sense, I will explain briefly to you. It's essentially a film where there's a guy who's a psychologist and he has a kind of a child patient who grows up and is still really really angry and he shoots Bruce Willis's character and Bruce Willis has some time recovering and then he gets another child patient who reminds him of the first one and this particular child tells Bruce Willis I see dead people and so he's trying to help the child get through that and and the child says I see dead people but they don't know that they're dead and he's trying to help them kind of pass on to the other side. And 
Bruce Willis is trying to help the child, and then he hears this recording, and he begins to think, hey, maybe this child actually sees dead people, and he begins to take it seriously. Anyway, I'll cut to the end. The big twist at the end, Bruce Willis is dead. And he's been dead all the time. He was one of those dead people, and he was speaking to the child. He didn't realize that he was dead, but he's like, oh, amazing, what a twist. And the kind of the end of the story, he goes to his wife, and he's able to kind of say goodbye, and he passes on to wherever it is he's passed on to. And, oh, great film, great twist. So I probably should have said spoiler alert. Um, <laughs> but it was, it was out in the late 90s, so I'm hoping that you'd, if you wanted to see it, you'd have seen it by now. Anyway, the, the point, why am I telling you that for this? When you watch it the first time, you're like, oh, great story. Whoa, at the end, big twist. If you watch that film a second time, you can't watch it the same way again. Because you're constantly like, I now know that he's dead the whole, the whole way through. And it's really clever because you think, oh, I thought he was speaking to his wife all this time, but they were actually talking past each other. And they weren't actually talking. And there's a, kind of a new beauty, a new kind of interest in the film. When you read the Bible, believe it or not, it's actually the same. When you read the Bible the first time, you're like, oh, this is a great story. You know, God makes everything, and then it all goes wrong, and you're like, when is God going to fix it? Maybe it's going to be this person, or this person. Is it Abraham, or Isaac, or maybe it's King David? Or When is the great victory going to come? And then it's, you suddenly find in the New Testament, Jesus is the one we've been waiting for. And Jesus dies on the cross, and he rises again. And then he says to the two on the Emmaus Road, actually, the whole story all along was all about me. I was everywhere, and you just didn't realize it. Every scripture, every prophet, all of it was all pointing to me, the whole thing, the whole story. That when you then read the Bible a second time, you cannot read it the same way again. You're not supposed to. You're supposed to start and just be like, Jesus is everywhere. Jesus is the better Abraham. You know, Abraham had promises and he went and he went to start a new life. Jesus is the better Abraham. He has promises and he goes. He's the better Isaac who was supposed to be sacrificed, but then a ram is given. Jesus is sacrificed. He's the one who saves us. He's the better Jacob. Jacob sees a ladder from heaven. Jesus is the ladder from heaven. He's the better Joseph. Joseph is in Egypt, and he feeds the nations. Jesus feeds the nations. I could, go, I could make this whole message about that if you really wanted me to. I could go through Jesus, the better David. He's the better Solomon. He's the bread in the temple. He's the lampstand in the temple. He's the water from the rock. He's the manna from heaven. You know, he is the temple. He is the sacrifice. He's the lamb. Everywhere in the whole of the Old Testament, if you read it with open eyes, there's Jesus. The whole story is about him. And he's like, you cannot read the Bible again when you know the twist. If you've read Luke, or you've read any of the Gospels, you're like, this changes everything. This whole story was about him. And then to make it even more heady for you, it was the Spirit of Christ who spoke to the prophets in the Old Testament. The Spirit of Christ is Jesus. Jesus spoke to the Old Testament prophets about himself. They weren't just talking about someone who was going to come. Jesus was writing the story, which should kind of blow your mind a little bit to think Jesus, all the way through history, has been writing this story, speaking to the prophets, revealing himself in, in their words, in the actions, in the history even. It's all about him. 
all orchestrated by him. And I think this is amazing good news for us because it means Jesus just didn't decide, oh, I better die for everyone in just a moment. I mean, even though that, if that was true, that is true, that would, be, that would be worthy of our worship. Say, Jesus, you are worthy of my worship that you are willing to be my substitute to die for me. I think our truth is even better than that. That before the foundation of the world, Jesus knew he was going to come and he was going to die for all people to win them back to God. If, you, if you're doubting the goodness of God, if you think, ah, I'm struggling, so I keep putting on the news, I keep seeing, you know, this anxiety and this struggle, and is God really going to come through for me? Is he really good? Is he really going to help me stand firm? You just reread the story and remember God has committed himself thoroughly to this salvation. From before the beginning of the world, he knew he was coming. Every single stage of history, every step, every prophet, every priest, every king, every stage of Israel's history, God was weaving the story and he was going to come as, as the savior, as the substitute, as the one who was going to redeem us, bring us back to God. This is good news. We're more blessed than we realize. As I said, I'm, you know, I'm not hiding the purpose of this message from you. This is what I'm going to try and impart as best I can. We are more blessed than we realize. God is far better than we realize. We don't always come to church thinking all these things. That's what Duncan encouraged us at the beginning. He's like, hey, shake it off, any stuff you're bringing in this morning. We, we need this. We need daily reminders of how good God really is. Because I forget. I don't know if you forget. I'm very forgetful. I need to be reminded all the time just how good he is. And I think then one provocation for us is we have to actually read this book. There's no good me turning up and very quickly, without much detail, saying, oh, Jesus is you know, he's the better Abraham and he's the better this. And he's, he, it's hard to take all that in in one go. We, we need to know this story inside and out. If this is Jesus' story, and you say, I want to know Jesus, you need to know the whole thing. Not just the New Testament plus a few Psalms. Not just a few choice passages that you might whack on a fridge. But a whole lot. The whole of this book, we need all of it. There's not one part of it that we can chop out. In the second century, someone tried, a guy called Marcion. So let's just get rid of the Old Testament. Let's get rid of, I think, most of the Gospels. Almost everything apart from Paul's letters, I think, he wanted to get rid of. And the church had to refute it. Say, no, no, no. All of this scripture is God's scripture. It's all his story. But I would encourage you, if you want to know God, if you want to know Jesus, the real Jesus, you have to read this. I've been so encouraged hearing that you started like a Bible, Bible study once a month. I would encourage everyone to go, go along. But let it inspire you to think, I need to read this for myself every day. I need, I need to get it into me. If I just go on the news, I'm definitely going to be anxious. If I read this, I've got at least half a hope of knowing peace and what God says and what his perspective and you can read the Bible in so many different ways. You could do it on your own. You could do it with friends. You could read loads of it. You could have little, little bits. I don't mind. I, you know, I'm not being too prescriptive about it. But I would say you've got you to read it. 
Because this, this, this book is alive. It's all written by the Spirit of Christ. And it says, so the Spirit of Christ inspired the Old Testament. The Spirit of Christ wrote the New Testament. These believers that 1 Peter is written to, it says they heard it, the good news, by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. So the Holy Spirit wrote the book. The Holy Spirit spoke through the apostles to these believers. And believe it or not, the same Holy Spirit who did all of that is here today. I mean, isn't that an outrageous thought? The, the, the same Spirit who spoke to Isaiah and revealed the truth about the suffering servant, the same one, not like half a one or a different one, or God's not split in all kinds of different places, the same Holy Spirit is here now in this room, wanting to reveal these truths to you and to me. That's how committed God is to us. We are more blessed than we realize. And my last point at the end of the passage we have, Peter just kind of throws it in as a little curveball ending. He says these things, into which angels long to look. Which I'm just going to make us pause and try and think about what on earth does that little sentence mean? Because angels are majestic creatures. They're, they're made by God. They live in the heavenly courts, and once made, they don't, it seems they don't die. They, they live with God forever. And I'm therefore assuming they've had plenty of time through all eternity to ask God lots of questions about what is your salvation plan? Why have you done what you have done? And yet in the present tense, so not the past tense, in the present tense, Peter says, angels long to look into these things that we've just described. They long to look into the salvation of God. And I think that should make us pause, because we should think, if the angels in their glorious splendor are desperate to look into these things, how much more should we be desperate to look into these things? That kind of, that where it says the angels long to look, it has a sense of like deep, kind of penetrative searching. They're longing to look into it. It's the same with the prophets, the same kind of languages. Like the prophets like Isaiah and Jeremiah and Habakkuk were deeply obsessed with looking into the salvation of God. They, are, they were so hungry to know what God was like, to know how he had saved, to know what he had done. To, they're, just, they're mesmerized. The sense we should have is the angels are just on their faces in heaven, just like, God, we can't believe this magnificent salvation that you have won. Can't get our heads around it. We long to look into these things. And I think that's good news because it means for us it's not just information. If it was just information, the angels have had enough time to get their heads around it. If it's just the facts, if it's just, you know, angels, come on, just read Luke. You're going to know it. Why are they still longing? Why are they still looking? It's because, I think, God who is eternal an infinite and immortal, the God who's only wise and magnificent, God who you cannot plumb the depths of, decided to become a human being, to take on sin, to become our substitute when we didn't deserve it, to lay his own life down on the cross, and then on the third day he defeated death once and forevermore and is now seated back in the heavenly places as a human being where he will reign forevermore. The angels can't get their heads around it. 
They, they cannot fathom how this infinite God would condescend to such degrees that they're going to spend the whole of eternity searching it out, going deeper. And I, again, I think this is good news for us because one day we will die, that's bad news, but then we'll get to go into glory, that's good news. And we will not be bored. We will not just read Luke's gospel and think, well, I get it now. What am I going to do for the next billion years? We will spend an eternity going deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper and we will never hit the bottom. We will never hit a time where we think, I now know God fully. I've done it. I've got my head around him. I can see him fully. I'm there. No, no, God is so beautiful and so majestic, we will never hit the bottom. We will look and we will look and we will look. And we will be satisfied and we will never be satisfied, if you know what I mean. There is no end to him. But it's always better and better and better that we're supposed to think, I haven't got this yet. Do you know, if you go out to kids' work, sometimes you're like, right, kids, we're going to do, you know, the story of the, when the shepherd leaves the 99 to go and find the one. And there's always like one kid who's like, I've done this one. Like, I know, I know, I know this one. I, I, let's do a different one. I don't, I don't want to do this story again. Can we have another one, please? I think we can be like that sometimes. You're like, do you know, hey, Jesus died on the cross for you and rose again on the third day. I know this one, Steve. Like, we hear this every week. Like, Duncan always tells us that. Is we're supposed to think, no, no, we haven't got it yet. There is more and more and more and more. We're supposed to fully understand this book from beginning to end to, to grasp the depth and richness of the salvation that God has won for us. Let alone the day when we go face to face with God and we see him for who he is. There's so much more. For us, for Revelation Church, there is so much more that you can have of God that you don't yet know. And then the last thing I'd say about the angels is if they are that desperate, how much more should we? Because they're not the ones who actually get saved. I don't know if you ever think about that. They are in God's courts, they, they, they are with Him, they, they're not redeemed. They're not saved. They haven't fallen. They're not lost. They're there. We, on the other hand, we have, we have been lost and we've been found. We once were blind, but now we see. We're, we're the actual recipients of what God has won. That, that's where the, how much more should we want to sing and celebrate and worship and fall down on our faces before God and say you are holy and wonderful and yet you're full of mercy and kindness and I can't believe that your salvation has found me. If the angels are getting this excited, we should be getting doubly excited. We should, we should be coming to God saying I don't get this yet. I don't know this story enough yet. I want more. And his Holy Spirit will come to us and reveal it. That's what God says. That's what he promises Duncan actually asked me to come today to preach on the vision of Grace Connection. And I've thoroughly failed at not even mentioning it, really. But I actually kind of, a bit of a cheat, but I thought if I can lay this out as compellingly as possible and help you think, God is amazing. He, he is so good. And he is, an, he is a wonderful saviour. And, and he, his goodness, it, it just, there's no measure. It's just boundless. I'd think, well, if you 
if you can feel that in your heart and think, God, you're so good, I want to live my whole life for you, you will get caught up into his mission. That Jesus has a mission that the whole world would know just how good he is. That his glory would, would cover the earth just like the waters cover the sea. That's, that's our mission. That we get to play our little part in telling everybody about him. But you have to receive it first. It's no good me saying, come on, everyone, off you go. Out you go into Manchester. Go and tell everyone how good Jesus is. You have to encounter him again and again and again. Let him stir your heart. Think You can't stop me going out into Manchester to tell people about him. You can't stop me going to plant a church somewhere or other. You, you can't stop me going to be good news to the poor in this city because I have encountered Jesus and he is far better than I ever dared believe. And that's my prayer for you guys if I can try and impart one thing to you, you are more blessed than you realize. And we have an invitation this morning and ongoing to dig into what God has said and what he has promised. And I tell you, it's better than you probably dare believe.